You may be seated. Holiness is not something that a human being can attain unto by carnal initiatives and efforts. It is an impartation of the nature of God that makes him exclusive, makes him in his own class, makes him incomparable to anything else, makes him different. In striving towards holiness, the responsibility of the believer is to come into covenant and into league with the Holy Spirit, surrendering himself as an instrument of righteousness. Now, the scripture where we read in the book of Romans chapter 6, because we made a mystery out of holiness. the lifestyle of heaven whereas righteousness is our nature as imparted into us by the Holy Spirit that has taken up residence in us holiness is the lifestyle of that nature now there is a contrast and a comparison that is done in the book of Romans hallelujah and I need you to understand Critically, as we touch on doctrinal issues, it is needful for us to understand at what point is the description of our current code of holiness, at what point was it an idea of the doctrines of men. We need to find out. Okay? Are you with me? Now, so... Now, let us see the scripture. This is the introduction to holiness. The advanced dimensions of holiness is in the book of First and Second Thessalonians. But the introduction to holiness is Romans chapter 6. And we are trying to get the basics so that we will understand what exactly our work with God is all about. First of all, it begins in verse 12, showing us the nature of sin. Sin is a tyrant, it's a domineering entity. It's, it's the nature of Satan in manifestation. It has capacity to dominate, it has capacity to reign, it has capacity to deceive and to beguile. You notice that the shape that Satan took in the Garden of Eden when he came to deceive Adam and Eve was the shape of a serpent. Are you with me? It's the nature of that serpent. That is what we call sin. The venom that the serpent conducted into man constituted an aberration, a nature that is reflective 
of the life form and the shape of darkness. Now, this sin or this nature, this power called sin, has the capacity to reign, to gain dominion. So as long as you tarry in it, you become a slave to it. And then you are exposed to higher degrees of it. It is spiritual. So when it begins to reign in your mortal body, what it does is that it opens greater doors of indulgences and corrupts your nature. Corrupts you. Corrupts the program of God concerning your life. It renders you diminished and it subjects you to a sequence of decay. Are you with me? And so, in order for God to bring us deliverance, what He did was that He gave us salvation. In salvation, what happened is we are interfacing by the Holy Spirit into another nature. And the nature that we have from God, as opposed to the nature of sin, is what we call righteousness. Righteousness is not an action. Fundamentally, righteousness is a nature. Are you still with me? I know you know all this. I'm just trying to recap. Even though the Bible reveals that there are works of righteousness, there are some works that manifest on the account of that nature. But fundamentally, righteousness is a nature, just like sin is a nature. Sin is not fundamentally an action. Sin is a nature. But sins are actions that are offshoot of sin. Do you get that now? Fundamentally. We need to get it right so that we can understand how to really walk with God. Now, Do you realize that the dog has a nature? He barks by nature. Is that true? You can learn how to bark, but you are not barking because you have a nature that promotes barking. So any kind of barking that you do is not locked to your nature. So it is counterfeit barking. You know where I'm going? That nature of God, hmm, as we saw yesterday, produces fruits. And the only way that that nature can produce fruits is that we get locked onto the Spirit of God as the personality that will find expression through us. There is a covenant that you must come into with the Spirit of God. That is what we call consecration. You come to that point where you realize that you are altogether God's property. And then by an act of being reasonable, you decide that you offer your potentials to serve the will of God. Now, listen to me. Listen to me. It is not as if even the best of us cannot decide to serve the devil. We have a choice. Are you with me? We have what? Now, if we go deeper into kingdom teaching, you come to realize that the difference between operating the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is choice. 
Our entrance into the kingdom of God is through regeneration. Alright? Then we are born into the plane and the sphere of the divine life. That was what Jesus spoke about in the book of John chapter 3. Our entrance into the kingdom of heaven, however, because the kingdom of heaven talks about the rule of God that proceeds from the throne of God in the third heavens. If you are part of that rule, are you with me? If that throne in the third heavens is affecting your navigation and your operation upon the face of the earth, if it will affect, because you can be born again and you are born into the sphere of life, Jesus' proof that you have been born into the sphere of life is that your spiritual senses become activated and functional. So Jesus said, Except a man be born again, he cannot what? See the kingdom of God. See perception. His spiritual senses become functional. So he becomes aware of a realm that operates beyond his natural sight, beyond his natural senses. His spiritual senses are activated to be able to interact with that realm. Are you with me? Now, now that you have begun to interact with that realm, there is a burden that is upon you. Because a time will come when God will make the perspective of that realm plain to you. And then you are now faced with a choice. Will I choose what that realm is recommending? Or will I choose what I want? So you are born again, your spiritual senses become activated. But that is not a proof that you are operating from the kingdom of heaven. Operating from the kingdom of heaven is that now that your senses are activated, you begin to perceive the will of God, you now make a choice. That that is what I want to do. That's a different sphere of operation. Are you with me? Now, there's a difference between an ordinary sinner and a forgiving sinner. Is that true? Hey, are you, are you here? A man that is sinning on the street. There's a difference between that man and one that was sinning on the street and then he gave his life to Christ. There's a difference. There is also a difference between an ordinary Christian and a consecrated Christian. Because that ordinary Christian is operating from the kingdom of God, but the consecrated Christian has decided to submit his authority over his life to God so that he will serve the will of God that is, as, as, as it is perceived from the throne of God in the third heavens. That's another layer of existence entirely. Have you not seen many Christians that don't want to serve the will of God. They are born again. But they are not operating from the government of the throne of God in the third heavens. That is a miniature form of existence that, that, that is not the purpose of God for the believer. 80% of believers in our time operate that way. They are born again, but they are the ones that control their show. They are not operating from the third heaven. So they don't seek the will of God. They don't feel that the will of God is important for them to submit to. Your journey on the path of holiness begins when you have come to that point where you acknowledge that rulership over your life must be submitted to the Spirit of God. It is consecration that makes the Holy Spirit strong and powerful. In your life. If not, the Holy Ghost will never, ever be powerful. As long as your will contradicts Him, He has this nature to shrink back and to allow you to have your will. 
It's a cause for the Lord God of heaven to allow you to have your way. It's a dilemma for the Lord God of heaven to allow you to have your way. Are you still with me? Because we were not designed with the capacity and the function of directing our paths. That function is locked in a wisdom that is higher than human wisdom. So you can never fulfill and identify your destiny as it is captured in God except you come to that point where you sell out to Him. At that point, you see, your salvation is definite. You know, you came to Jesus definitely. You counted the cost. You, know the, you knew the things that you had to leave behind in order for you to um, be connected with the Lord. Alright? In consecration also is as definite as your salvation. That day comes in your life when you decide that, okay, now this person can live like this, this person can do like this, but what I decide is that I'm going to live to serve the will of God. That is a proof that you have grown to a point where you have become a reasonable Christian. And your work of holiness begins from that point. It means now that you have decided that since prior to this time I was in charge of my affairs, now I want God to be in charge of my affairs. I'm, I'm going to seek His will for every detail of my life so that my life will be an expression of His intention. See, your life has passed from your hands and is now a tool in His hands. That is how you become an instrument of the righteous nature. become what? An instrument of what? The righteous nature. The righteous nature is looking for for a puppet to manifest his powers, his dynamics. The righteous nature is seeking an opportunity for expression. And as long as your will stands in the way of the will of God, the righteous nature cannot manifest its strength through your own specimen. It's a radical thing to do to come to that point where you say, okay, Lord, I'm just yours. I'm weak. Don't know how to pray. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just yours. I just want to be yours. Very radical to get to that point. Because everything is going to contend with that position that you have taken. And you need to be saying it every day and handing over your life to Him every day as Lord over your life till the rest of your life. Situations and circumstances will, circumstances will forge themselves and present themselves with you, to you, offering you an option to operate otherwise. And it will look more profitable, it will look more rewarding, it will look more fashionable, it will look more smart. But you see, God seeks men of covenant. And that's where your walk of holiness begins from. There are two things in the ladder of holiness. First of all, you must discern that you are God's property. And legally, He owns you. When your eyes open to that by revelation, then you now decide to become reasonable by acting upon that insight 
and presenting yourself to God. That's the fourth point on the path of spiritual progress. Any believer that has not come to the point of presenting himself to God, presenting herself to God, is not a reasonable believer. And because you are not reasonable, you know the Bible says, come let us reason together. I want to make you reasonable. You have not reasoned rightly. So you are not reasonable. Now a believer that is not reasonable, he suffers eight different woes. Yes. Now you see, most people, most believers of our present time, are actually suffering the ailments that accrue to lack of consecration to serve the will of God. There are demons, there are issues, there are patterns in our lives that will remain. Some demonic influences that will remain until we decide to come to the point of consecration. When you have decided that I am no longer my property, I am God's property, then it becomes God's responsibility to fight, to protect and to preserve you. But as long as you are still keeping the rights of ownership, He will allow you to manage your business. And I tell you, that business is not so profitable if God's hand is not upon it. You know, I know you people so much. I don't want to use an example of somebody that is here. The person will now catch me at the end of the, the uh, lecture and say, Oh, pastor, of all the people that were in the congregation, it was me you isolated. Well, I think in order to push my point home, I, I need to do that. I need to, to yield to that. She's laughing because she knows she's the one I'm coming to. Now, ah, she will feel offended. All right, let's leave. Now, it's very easy for you to decide that you will just do your own will. Now, when we talk about a man being alive in himself, it's a man that still has a will that is unwilling to surrender. So when my brother was teaching yesterday and he spoke about the need for dead men to come upon the scene, He's talking about men whose will do not conflict with God. Because the proof of human life is a will that has an opinion. What did I say? The proof of what? Of human life. It's a will that still sustains an opinion that is contrary to God. He's still alive. He's alive in his will. He's alive in his position. He's alive in his stand. Contrary to the stand of God. It is that stand that he has sustained that is contrary to God that is going to be the greatest opposition that God will have in seeking to express his mastery through that life as a specimen. So the journey into holiness is a journey that is established upon two spiritual steps. A discernment of the fact that we are all together God's property and then also yielding to The reasonable outcome of such a discernment, which is, will lead us to what? Consecrating ourselves to serve the will of God. Now, listen to me. You need to give me time to work this thing out. Because a lot of religion has been made out of the doctrine of holiness. But there's nothing you can do that will make you holy. Nothing. I assure you. 
You can remove your earrings, bind your hair with a head tie, and cover your ears. Then go to the village, get some very old rags that you are wearing. Say you are not of this world. That in itself is another religion that you are doing. It's another religion. But obviously it's not Christianity. Now as Christians in this age and in this time, we need to know exactly the position of scriptures. A lot of people have come up with things that are contrary to scriptures in trying to clone a generation. The failures of the body of Christ that we see today in our nation is as a result of the fact that we have cloned people. Guys do not know God, they are not in league with God, but they are being cloned to function in a certain way. That's the product of the doctrine of man. And so we must understand biblical holiness. Hallelujah. There are four things I need to tell you about the dealings of God with his people. It will shock you. First thing about the dealings of God with his people is that God does not deal with them the same way. There's diversity in the dealings of God. Hallelujah. Now let's take an, take, take inventory. How many of you are here and God said, you, you heard it from the Lord directly from him, don't wear jeans trousers. Anybody here like that? Okay, you. Okay, since when? Now, this was a dealing from the Lord. For me, I have no such dealing. Now, he will be committing a blunder. Maybe seeing me on my jeans trousers now. That I'm not sanctified. But you see, they don't wear trousers in heaven. So you are actually operating under a veil. So there are many veils in the body of Christ. And we need to remove it. That is the assignment of the apostolic ministry. To present the way of the Lord the way it is without adding human religion to it. Are you with me? And so, first thing I said is in the dealings of God there is what? Diversity. It is in keeping with this diversity that the Holy Spirit has invested himself in all of us. Because there is going to be a unique Intrinsic personal dealing that will come to you that is unique to you and unique to your destiny. So we should not expect that at the end of the day we should be the same. No, that's not God's will. And that's why Jesus in 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 releasing dimensions of himself to the body of Christ says some will be known as apostles, some will be known as what? Prophets, some will be known as what? All of those things are dimensions of Christ. But you see, they are distributed to the body of Christ as God wills because God is a God of diversity. The earlier you understand that, the better. 
And most of us, I believe that mostly the, the gospel in Nigeria has suffered because of lack of exposure. People need to travel. Just move to Ghana. Don't go far. When you come back, you discover that you majored on the minors. And that's why you don't know God. They carry you out a very false religion. Those dreams, those people said they had from hell. Let them go and sell those books in the U.S. Because this church in the United States has about 200 years of experience. You can't bring that cheap propaganda. It will, they will, you will be arrested. Are you still with me? Secondly, God's word. What is general about his dealing with us is the logos, that which is written in the word of God. And I need to tell you something about that which is written before we proceed in this journey. Hallelujah. I say hallelujah. I need to tell you a little about that which is written. According to the scriptures, no particular verse or chapter of the Bible is capable of private interpretation because the entire compendium of the scripture is actually prophecy. It's actually God-inspired. It's not a function of the figment of human imagination. Just in case you see in scripture, maybe somebody said, and I said, that person, for that word to qualify to enter into the scripture, hmm? that word satisfied the present revelation position of the spirit. That was why it's, it's qualified to be documented. Are you with me? And there is something about prophecy. Prophecy sustains a nature. Prophecy can actually be judged. And in the judgment of prophecy, you need more than one umpire. And so, any scripture that doesn't pass the test of testimony from two or more witnesses, it is is not actually, our interpretation of it is is not in line with the spirit of prophecy. Because... If the scripture is not, doesn't have any private interpretation, it should also be confirmed from other scriptures. It's only the thought of man that is, has a private interpretation. Have you ever seen husband and wife quarrel before? It's because of private interpretation. The woman did something like this and felt it should be like this. The man came and said, he had a private interpretation about that matter. <laughs> And by the time he finished interpreting it, the woman, it was as if she committed murder. Because she did not see all those dimensions that the man brought. As long as there is no reference to a matter, it is what? Given to private interpretation. It cannot be the basis upon which people's eternal faith can be anchored upon. Are you with me? It's not the way you think it is that it is. It's the way the scriptures can witness that it is through the mouth of two or what? Three witnesses. Are you with me? 
So when you, when, when you think that scripture said that women must tie her tie to pray, go and look for two scriptures or three scriptures or four scriptures that say that. If you cannot find that in the Bible, that is not the perspective of God concerning that scripture that you have erroneously interpreted. A religion comes out of that and whether you are right or wrong depends on whether you have a headgear. Meanwhile, it has nothing to do with the teachings of the Bible. Because one of the people in those dreams from hell, hell or the underworld said that we have to, the church has to go back to holy dressing. Now, mind you, there's nothing like holy dressing in the Bible. Now, the challenge of the apostolic is to bring the truth of God and present it what? The way it is. You cannot formulate a dress code through the Bible. Wear trousers, don't wear trousers. Not with scripture. The reason why we feel the responsibility to, to clone is because we do not have confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of men. And we have not exposed the people to the work of the Holy Spirit that is intended by God to bear fruits unto holiness. Have you seen that? Find two scriptures that says that women should not wear trousers. The thing is not about putting a code. The thing is about making the people know the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible can take care of those issues. Not everything is covered by doctrine. I need you to understand that. And the reason why it is like that is because the Holy Spirit has a definite, intrinsic, tender work that He does in the heart of every believer, different from another. So the call to consecration is a call to league with the Holy Spirit. A call to fraternity with the Holy Spirit. A call to covenant with the Holy Spirit. It's not an attempt, an initial attempt to stop something wrong you are doing. Because most of you believe that if you can walk on the anger, I'm okay. You are, you see, you are, you are walking in bits and pieces. Submit the whole life. Eh? To him. It's not just if I can put, wash my leg, I'm okay. That's not the idea. The idea of holiness and consecration is what? I'm altogether his. As long as there is a problem with that, your committer, your life will be wrong according to the Bible. We can use scriptures, look at your life critically and find scriptures that reveal your error. Are you with me? Oh my, you are not with me. <laughs> Jesus. His problem, her problem, is his committer to the Holy Ghost. If there is still anger manifesting, there is still fornication manifesting, this one is not yet committed. This one has not yet given. Because by the time you hand over all to him, there is a definite thing that happens. You become an instrument of righteousness. I hope you know that an implement, a farm implement, does not just take itself to the farm and begin to work. Somebody will use it. It is when you have now decided to commit yourself to serve the will of God. Given that you have realized that you are his property. And it, it, it is it, being reasonable with God demands that you give him his property. When you do that, there is you, your shape changes. You become an implement, a tool. 
that can be used to advertise righteousness as a theater. Are you still with me? Now, so I can come to the church and say, From now henceforth, the Holy Ghost spoke yesterday night. Every sister come here with your head tied, with headgear. And then you, no, in such cases, the people that say those things, they don't laugh. So don't, don't make it funny. Come with headgear. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. You know, the people can actually obey my law. But they have not yet committed themselves to God. What their lives will produce is, is an aberration that is under that garment. Wickedness in manifestation. Bitterness at work. A judgmental spirit that is hot, far away from God. All kinds of things hide under human religion and manifest freely, unchecked. That's not Christianity. Now, you see, I cannot teach what I'm teaching if I don't have the experience of what I'm talking about. Because I will not be accurate. The only way to be accurate in the things of Bible study and teaching is that you yourself must have an experience of what you are talking about. I know what it means to walk in holiness. If I, have, if I see otherwise, I'm lying. A man doesn't have the authority in the church to say, I know what faith means if he has not walked in faith for more, for, for more than 10 years. I've walked in holiness for more than 10 years. A man doesn't have the authority to call for an offering if he has not been consistent with to giving to God for more than 10 years. He doesn't have the legal standing. Such a man can call the offering, the people will not be motivated to give because that thing he's recommending is not part of his life. Because I've seen places where the teaching is, uh, is given, that's the teaching. But there's poverty. The church of 200, the offering was less than 4,000. Meanwhile, the message is given. It's not the preaching that is the problem. The man calling for the offering, we have to promise. Oh, the Lord will help us. These issues are, they are critical issues. If you are still with me, say Amen. Are you here? Now we need to call a spade a spade. Somebody said he died and went to hell. And the message that came out is women must go back to ancient dressing. I know the spirit that spoke to me. That has nothing to do with the Holy Ghost. There are no clothes in heaven. This kind of your fabric that they made from cotton. The garment you'll be wearing in heaven is a garment that is actually an array, an array of that righteous nature. It will be white in its blend because that nature carries that coloration. I don't want to go into some other things that are beyond ground level. Let's stay on ground. Are you still with me? Now, so this is what we do. You cannot say because you can mimic barking that you are a dog. The dog barks by nature. You are backing by what? By copying. That's what happens when we want to copy holiness. 
You are not doing it by nature. You are doing it by copy. And that is fake. It is filthy. Like filthy rags before God. Get lost in the Holy Ghost. Something. Righteousness will begin to bear fruits unto holiness. That's what the Bible says. As you get lost into God. The first thing that God touched in my own life was my, my quotient of financial expenditure. That was the first thing he touched. I don't know what he touched in your own, but my own was my quotient of what? Of financial expenditure. The shape of my financial expenditure did not look like a man that was sold out to God. And God's ministration began from there. You know the reason why I will not overly compel you to give if you have not touched God? Eh? We will have to be encouraging you. It's obvious that the kingdom work requires a lot of investment coming from his people so that the kingdom of God can advance. So that the kingdom of God will not suffer loss in our time. That is obvious. But, the point is this. A man cannot give to God if he has not yet given him himself to God. Now the Bible speaking, Paul was talking about some of the churches. A particular church. Is it the Corinthian church or what church was that? What? That the reason why it was easy for them to give was because they themselves are giving themselves unto God. Because God first will accept you before he accepts your offer. The first thing God dealt with in my own life when I came to that point of absolute committal to him was my expenditure quotient. The template was such that he reflected a worldly man much more than a godly man. And who will ever think that that is where God will go first? That is where he went first for me. Because the shape of my expenditure was a revelation of my constituent. And that constituent as mirrored by my expenditure, was not in keeping with the pattern in the heavens. So he had to begin to judge and probe that side. That is the walking of, of life. That is the walking of the power of the life called Zoe. It probes every inclination in your universe that is not consistent with the template of heaven. Because holiness is actually a fruit You know, our text has not changed. It's Romans chapter 6 that we are still... We are still. You know, I crammed the, those scriptures. That's why I'm touching... Sometimes I touch verse 12, verse 14. I had to cram it. So I don't need to be coming back. But everything I'm saying, if you want to probe it, let's go back. Romans 6 verse 21 What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, but now be made free from sin and become servants to God. Ye have your fruit unto 
holiness. Now that we are partakers of the nature of God called righteousness. Alright? The fruit that that nature will bear if it begins to express itself through your life as a specimen is a culture, a conduct of holiness. That is actually a manifestation of the nature of God that makes him different. It makes him distinct. It makes him separated from all others. Are you with me? It makes him such that you cannot put him within the context of any other progression. You can't say Shongo and then Madioha, uh, Jehovah. No, he doesn't enter the sequence. You know why? Because he is holy. It's that nature that makes him altogether different. And when that nature begins to work itself inside of you, it will make you what? Uh, oh, you are not with me now. To make you what? You will no longer be uncommon. You, you, it will make you uncommon. You will no longer be common like the people of this world. These are the things they do. You will just be different. The workings of that nature will make you different. Distinct. You are not in the common band. There is something that works in your life that is beyond your upbringing. This is in nature at work. It will result in making you different. Are you with me? Now, those days, those days, alright, when we say a vessel, a cup is holy. You know what it, it means traditionally and originally and customarily? What it means is that that vessel has been removed from every other mundane use, every other carnal use, and it has been relegated to the temple. It is only in the temple that such a vessel will be used. Are you with me? It is still a vessel like its counterparts in the market, but it is different from those ones that they made together because it has only one use, and that is what temple use. In fact, one of the kings in scripture tried to bring the vessels that were dedicated only to temple use. His loss came to a level that he recommended that those vessels in the temple should be brought out and be used carnally again. The God that they were dedicated to came with a hand and wrote on the wall that night. Now, so if you have been working with the Lord and that nature has made you different and you decide to apply yourself to a mundane adventure. Hmm. Have you ever heard that somebody took a goat to a shrine and then later, after three days, he went back to take it back? Is it the same goat that you are taking back? It might look, it might look like the same goat naturally. But the owner is different now. So what you have committed is theft. That the owner of that goat will look for you. Some of you have encountered trouble because you went far with God and then you now applied some of your vessels <coughs> to common use. That was a breach of contract. And the one that you offered the vessel to now had to shake in your universe shook. 
Can you see the powers of which we, we deal with when we come to the corridor of consecration? That is what makes the Holy Ghost powerful. You will never know the power of the Holy Spirit until you have consecrated to serve Him. And that your powers and potentials will be used for one reason and one reason only to manifest His excellence as He deems fit. That nature of God will be unlocked from your spirit man. And it will be manifested in so, in so much that it will make you separate. It will make you different. The more you walk in that nature, you discover that the options for you are always reduced to the barest minimum. It takes you through a path that is narrow. Alright? From the broad pathways that other Christians pass. The nature keeps confining you and restricting you to a path that is narrow. Such that the options around you are not many. When you marry, no matter how your wife is, you can't divorce. Because the nature has constrained you. If you you are still contemplating the fact that divorce is an option, there is a part of you that has not been given. And it's that part that the demons are hanging on and suggesting from. As you, if you give that part away, that suggestion will no longer become relevant. You see, we know talk, we don't know covenant. That is what is the key to real power. The reason why God even respected hidden kings those days was that when they say this, they will not turn back on it. God likes men like that. Because a man that cannot keep his word is not different from a beast. When you say to God, take all, what did you mean? Is there another interpretation of that? <laughs> the great one will help us. Are you with me? The great one will what? The third step on the path of holiness, you have seen the two steps, the third step is that you must come under the influence of the revelation of the Lordship of the Holy Ghost. Now, see, the Holy Ghost in you is Lord. Are you with me? He, he's what? He's Lord. You know, when you go to your village and you're expecting your chief to come and visit you, that you came back from a long journey, you wait for a long time. Chiefs don't go for visitation. The earlier you are acquainted with that, the better for you. The Holy Ghost inside of you is Lord. It's a king spirit. King spirits do not take the first initiative for acquaintance. You can be born again and you are not making any effort to know the Holy Spirit, to connect with Him, to fraternize with Him. He will be there like Jesus was in the boat sleeping. Meanwhile, the boat was about to capsize. The Holy Ghost becomes powerful when we beckon upon Him. We acknowledge His almightiness. If you are not aware of that, it will be difficult for you to have penetration in the spiritual realm. Meanwhile, I said that holiness what is a manifestation of what? Of the nature of God on display through the theater of my life. Don't forget that my example. I say we can back 
and mimic the barking of a dog. But a dog barks because his DNA is wired for barking. So no matter how close we go into mimicking it, it is not barking. Because our DNA doesn't support that. No matter how many physical things you do, those days we had a, a style of dressing. Your trousers are suspended like, like this. And then, hallelujah. And then you, you reduce your number of laughter. Reduce it so that you are always in gravity, pondering upon the mysteries of the Lord. Mahambalata <laughs> Makaya. Even when you spoke in tongues, you spoke in tongues sparingly. And then you mumbled up the rest in the heart. Because God does not look on the outward. He looks where? A religion was already evolving. Because almost all we did was powered by the power of the flesh. We wanted to be accurate. And the vista that we had to look into what accuracy was, was the teachings of men that came to us. And the more we yielded, the more enslaved we became. Until the time came when I said, Holy Spirit, if you are there, I want to know you for myself. And I went on an adventure. That adventure took me for ten years. Then the Holy Spirit had to guide me to read the scriptures again. And I discovered that there are many scriptures... Oh my God, Jesus. So from that time, I made a solemn vow that will fight against anything that is not founded in scriptures. And that will be the story of my life, a fighter for truth and verity. That the civilization of heaven might invade the basest of men again so that we can tap into our heritage in him. Now, I made many enemies because of that, that line of ministry. But it's better to make enemies among men than to have God against you. You cannot do any natural thing in the flesh. It will be fake. Holiness is the manifestation of what? Of a nature. It is on the strength of this that when somebody gives his life to Christ, even with his error, come like that. Because we are certain that in the process you will come in contact with God and he will begin to administer the regulator for your own life, yourself. It was in Cote d'Ivoire, Rastafari gave his life to Christ. His head was natty dre. You know, you know the dre that I'm talking about? Iron man, he was an iron man. Oh Jesus. He, he came with steps to the crusade ground. <laughs> and the word of God pierced his soul. He had some sticks of cigarettes from where he was an Ima. I don't know what brought him there, but he came. And the word of God pierced into him. He wept. And the next day, when he came to the crusade ground, he had shaved his natty dray. No Bible study. There was a spirit that was alive. Trying to manifest a nature through the theater of his life. It's the insecurity of pastors that, hey, will not have control. That is why the laws of men were legislated. The Holy Spirit is strong enough and capable to colonize his people. So we don't need to make a scripture say what it's not saying. When it's not supported from the scripture. 
just because we have an idea. That is, that is not Christianity. It might be an old Japanese religion that was important. Because it's among the Japanese monks, the dress code is of is key. That's cloning, not covering. There's a mighty nature seeking expression, and the power that drives that nature is sufficient in itself to perfect that which God intended. If you are still with me, say Amen. amen. Now there's another love that we need to climb. Go to Second Corinthians chapter seven. You see, we have received education from the flesh. In order for one of the most difficult things is to unlearn the things you have learned that are wrong. That is where the renewing and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit now comes into view. There is a a woman like that that I met from the West. She, her body, her flesh is educated. If she wants to insult you without talking, she knows how to do. <laughs> she has educated the flesh. The flesh is so educated. If she wants to, and the, the insult she will insult you without talking will be more than utterance. Because the flesh has been educated. And when you come into the kingdom of God and embrace the Holy Ghost, He begins to inoculate you with high tension syringes. So that that education can wither. And the power that funds that education will dry up. You are not with me. <laughs> There's a part of this thing. Eh? There's a, it is because of that that God incorporated suffering into the procedure. You see, and Jesus, being a pioneer, a prophet, and an apostle, knew that everything he does will affect every one of us. So he accepted that the path to salvation, he accepted suffering in it. Well, it was you he was looking at when he was going there. Hey, he was altering a path for you. Now there will be a fine blend of suffering that will be part of the process. The reason for that suffering is to weaken the education of the flesh that you have gained over time. And so, you know, you start doing night vigil, getting your family members to pray with you in the night, and then suddenly... You just came one day and everybody is against you. And the things they are saying is penetrating your heart. You know those utterances they are speaking, it's not coming from them. The spirits you are offending are the ones using their vocal cords to speak to you. In that, you see, mm, you were actually so close to victory. When that happens to you, you are close to victory. What you need to do is not to be overcome by evil. But to overcome evil with good. But many of us will now move in the flesh. Ah! Then you have failed that class. He will reprogram you for next semester. Because situations pressured you, and the option of the flesh was more. You operated with the old anger. You even went into a rage. You remembered how you were a boxer. You took advantage of the old ways. And then the old you that have died, he revived for a time. He said, be not overcome with evil. But overcome evil with what? Everything around you will be programmed to work 
to revive your old perspective of life. That perspective you were sustained before you came to that realization that made you consecrate. Hallelujah. Can somebody wrong you and you keep quiet for, for three years? And then when you feel hot inside, you go to prayer and say, Lord, peace. You ask for peace until you are inoculated. And the burden, the pressure of hatred and bitterness is neutralized. A man that will live under the government of God must know these secrets. Hmm? He must know the secret of the fact that hmm, you can cast your cares upon God because He cares for you. Because there are times when your heart will be full. Triggered from the environment to make you react. You need to know the sole purpose of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. The only thing that Satan wanted to achieve was to get Jesus to act outside of the authority of God. Whenever you leave your government of God, the authority of God, and act in the flesh, what you have done is that you have made the devil superior to you. And if he has been looking for you for a long time, that opportunity you gave him, he will do something to you that will affect your next season. Even though you repent and recover, you will still have a scar to bear. And when you pray to God about it, you say, my grace is sufficient. My grace. My grace. Because it was a choice you made when you came out. And many of us are going repeating classes because along the line we forget that you gave to God. And then you revive your tools and use it for a while because you believe those ones have more vengeance. And so you cannot grow beyond the level. You pray so much, but you are not growing. Because you don't understand how the divine life gains momentum as it matures within you. How it influences your soul and makes your soul to be subordinate. So that your soul becomes reflective of the activities that find expression in your spirit. So that your soul becomes that prison through which God is magnified. Hallelujah. There's another layer to it that I need to bring to, to our notice. That layer is in Second Corinthians. Okay. Eh? Okay, he's asking a question, please. Frame your question. You see, we are more of a, a prayer people, you know. And then you said, you pray so much, but there's no growth because your soul has not been opened up to the divine life. I like to throw more light on that because we are prayer people. You see that people pray so much, but I found out prayer is very fundamental, it's very important. But you can be praying and not growing. Meanwhile, growth, there's a path to growth. Everything that comes and that accompanies the divine life has its own path, its own system, has its own way of growth, has its own way of survival. Are you with me? Mm. Okay. Let us check some scriptures in answering, attempting to answer your question. Then I will now show us the golden rule of spiritual growth. Then I will move back to my message this morning. I have a message. My message this morning, uh, the title is Facts About Prayer That Are Easily Overlooked. That's, That's my sermon. We are doing 
<laughs> we are doing a recap of the things we began to study yesterday. Are you with me? Christianity is deep, but it's available to us by the Spirit of God. Alright. Can we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7? I know there are a lot of Bible scholars in the, in the hall. I'm seeing quite some scholars here. And I know that some of the things I've been bringing out are new to their hearing. And the reason why you are here is so that if you find out that a scripture, you know, contradicts the perspective I'm bringing, you are at liberty. It's Bible study to say, ah, can we strike this balance? That's why we're here. Amen. In Second Corinthians chapter 7, now as a Bible teacher, please notice this. Um, Evangelist Philip, you are a pastor. I heard that your church is growing very well. The burden of pastoring is not in the initial stage of doing the evangelical aspect of ministry. The burden of pastoring is being wise in the spirit enough to be able to instruct the people in righteousness. It's in such an environment that people can find their destiny and fulfill it. Now you are effective in the first phase of ministry. And you have refused to shift into the second phase of ministry. To begin to raise people that can do what you do. And to begin to teach people and instruct them in righteousness. That is what will qualify you to go beyond that place where you are pastoring to another place. If you move into the second phase of ministry that is calling you now. Now, with what you have, you are strong, I know. With what you have, there are some places you, you are not relevant. And that's why you must tarry with the word of God. And ask God for wisdom. It's not every service that is given to miracles. Jesus did not teach and preach that way. There are sometimes he'll go for three days just teaching. What was he telling them for three days? For three days, that's what he's just doing. Now, most of us, when we see the power of God move in our meetings, we are so excited. And that day will not end until you share it, that power move. I appreciate that. We need that. I'm not trying in any way to downplay the need for those dimensions. But I'm saying we have come to another level. Where you must become a technocrat in the spirit. And you see the people that you are pastoring and you see their limitations. And you are trusting God that they will go to another level in God. And then you receive the tools to bring them into that level. That means you are growing in ministry. Now, come with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. A day will come, maybe when you have an opportunity to minister to the senate of a country. <laughs> I don't want to go far. 
you will find out that you are not prepared for it. Because maybe you have the miracle prayer to give people money. Those ones have money. Maybe you have the miracle one that gives people protection. Those ones have military people surrounding their houses. So that is not their need. What will you minister to them? At what level will you reach them? Meanwhile, they are in desperate need of God. More desperately in need of God than the man that is unprotected on the street. It's time to grow in the ministry. And we must know what it means to grow. Are you with me? Now, anytime we are confused about what it means to grow, you begin to run around in circles. You have tarried around this mountain for too long. That is very easy in our walk with God for you to tarry around the mountain and not know that you are not moving. There were 42 times that Israel tarried in their journey to the promised land. It shows off 42 points where Christians are likely to tarry in their walk towards perfection. Maybe the day when we, in July, when we do the feast of the word of God, we'll check those 42 points. At what points did they stop? And what's the spiritual significance of those points? It is very likely for the believer to just stop and get pegged. And he doesn't know he's not growing. Meanwhile, the God you are tapping into has no end. But you are now truncated and stagnated. It's because there's an alignment problem. So revivals have come and we, we lost revivals and still continued our activities in the body of Christ. Just because we don't know what growth is. The shapes of the offices that we received in the body of Christ, the shape of the office of the evangelist, was intended to evolve. Yes. What you know the office of the evangelist to be and the role of the evangelist, you know it because that's how much of it we have explored. There are dimensions to that office that we have not yet known because the church in the region had not grown to. Now, can you call Benihim an evangelist now? Those were people that took those offices to very dangerous levels. Will you be right to call him an evangelist? Will it be accurate for you to call Bonke an evangelist now? There are shapes. Even the prophetic office has not matured in this country. Because our perspective of the prophetic office is somebody that has the gift of word of knowledge that can call your phone number. You can call people's phone number and the people lack direction and strategy. They lack the present revelation position of God as, as to how to advance within the scope of deep crisis in the territory. The ministry of a prophet was identified with their capacity to deliver a nation. He said by a prophet, the Lord brought what? The children of Israel out of Egypt. He had such capacity. They had no social security system. They had no legal system. They had no military. They had nothing in society. It was that prophet that formulated everything that became the basis 
of their government as a nation. It was by that prophet that functionaries were isolated to serve in cabinets of leadership. One prophet. There were even songs that were sung nationally in those days that it was a prophet that downloaded. So national songs and national anthems, they, the prophets gave it. Today, our own prophets are, are only have the power to call people's names and phone numbers. And because we are not growing corporately as a church, the offices have not evolved into higher dimensions and higher manifestations. Growth is a need now. And I have decided that I will not die. Die loaded. I have to die empty. The grave doesn't need what we carry. And so we need to know when we are growing. And how to grow. Hallelujah. Your number is 080. Wow, great prophet has come to town. But the people go back and the principalities of the territory still hold them bound. When they come by, say, Welcome. You went on vacation. Now come. <laughs> we have increased your body. <laughs> Something, a power that doesn't break into the control base of the principalities within the territory. To dissociate the people from cultures that were formulated by mysteries of darkness. And to colonize them and grant them an orientation. In keeping with the prophetic purpose of God for their territory and for their tribe. That's the role of the prophet. If we have not yet seen that manifestation, it's because <laughs> as a church, we are immature. And that's why we need to do this kind of elementary doctrine. There are things we need to move into. Things that God has already revealed that it is for us. He has revealed it. We can't touch it because there are, there are issues that we need to clean up. Now, look, there's another layer that we need to look into. Maybe it will answer your question. I spoke about the education of the flesh. Because we are so used to operating by the flesh, we now educated it to be able to communicate, even without utterance. And God will have to deal with those aspects. And those dealings are only possible when we are yielded to Him to serve His way. Are you still with me? Hallelujah. Now, can we look at Second Corinthians chapter seven? We we'll begin from verse one. Having therefore these promises daily, beloved, I think we need to go back and find out the promises he's talking about. Can you move back to uh, chapter six? Second Corinthians chapter six. Let's begin from verse 14. Maybe we'll be able to catch up with the stream. It said, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Why? Look upon me. Look upon me. He called it an unequal yoking. If you go to the Old Testament, you are going to see there are actually suggestions of this particular scripture in types and in shadows in the Old Testament. And it is not proper for you to plow a field with an ox and with ox and bull or something. 
ox and donkey. Don't plow with an ox and donkey. That's unequal yoking. Because when you are yoking an animal, they must be of the same strength, probably of the same size, and of the same kind. That is when the multiplier effect of their strength can act effectively on the plow that is behind them. And so if there is any form of unequal yoking, the yoke that they are drawing that is plowing the line, land will not be able to plow because it will be tilted at an angle and that is not an advantage. It will not be able to enter into the earth cross. Now, it means that you cannot partner with an unbeliever and expect anything that is productive, whether in business, counsel. It's not possible. So he said, Be not unequally yoked with, um, with unbelievers, for what fellowship had righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion had light with darkness, and what accord had Christ with Be- Belial, or what part as believer with a, as a believer with an infidel? Can we can we check those um, adjectives used there? What fellowship? Isolate fellowship. What cord? What concord? Isolate it. What communion? Isolate that. What part? Can we start with? Okay, let me give you an assignment. You study those words, okay? Those are English words. So you can use a dictionary to study them. And then you know the meaning. And then try to see how it applies to the scriptures. What's the first one we have? What, what? Fellowship. What koinonia? From what gradient will you fellowship with the unbeliever? Because when you are fellowshipping, have you heard in your Bible when the Bible says, Dead that fear the Lord spake one unto another? And the Lord hearkened and heard it, and the book of remembrance was opened to them that feared the Lord and taught upon his name. There are dimensions of interfacing with God that you cannot have except you go and meet a brother and you begin to talk about God. You do that regularly. You meet a sister and you, all you discuss is God. So there are dimensions of God that you can unlock just discussing God with a brother. In fact, it is so important that a book of remembrance is opened in heaven to pen down the things that were discussed. And to make it more terrible, God is saying that whenever He is coming to choose His precious people, it is those records that have come out of your fellowship that He is going to go back to in order to choose His precious people for times of, of for strategic times and purposes upon the face of the earth. He said, There shall be mine, said God, in the day that I make them my precious gems. Now, so the Bible is, is asking us a question What kind of fellowship, from what gradient will you? Be fellowshipping with an unbeliever. Because you see, sometimes, for those of you that have come to understand the anointing that you carry, there are some times that you came from home dry, but you just came into the service and you became anointed. It was not because you prayed, it's fellowship. Maybe the guy that was really anointed in the meeting was Tony, and then your spirit plugged with him. It was out of his reserve you were drawing utterance, drawing. That's fellowship, koinonia, is exchange, it's intercourse, it's transport. That's the meaning. Are you, a lot happens here that cannot happen in your house. And because many things are gathered here. An exchange takes place. 
We don't need to go into issues of, you know, I don't know if that pastor is here, one pastor. He came for one of our meetings and then something entered him. He called me from Lagos and said, he has not stopped praying since that day. And it's almost two weeks now. He has been in the cave. Because what entered him moved him into the cave. That's what happens when you fellowship. You share, you exchange things. Now, so from what gradient will you be able to conveniently fellowship? <laughs> What's the next word there? What? Communion. What communion has light with darkness? At what level can they find a common ground where light and darkness can partake of soap? What's the next word there? What concord? You know the Bible says in, on, in, in the upper room that they were in one accord. That means it was their corporate energy that drew the Holy Ghost out of heaven. Can you also be in accord? Or concord is not possible. The gradient, there's a gradient issue. What's the last one? What part? What part has what and what? What agreement? Ah! Okay, just go and study. Go and study. Let's leave that. So check the words carefully. We have fellowship. We have communion. We have what? Concord. We have what? Part. We have what? Agreement. And one thing you must understand is that when that life begins to manifest, that nature begins to manifest, it is going to make you separate. Your confidence will change. Your friends will change. So if you are here today, and one of your greatest powers is still of darkness, <laughs> you are fake. Because it's not possible. Your greatest power is in an unbeliever. I say, oh, we went to secondary school together in our lady. He should not be trusted. Hallelujah. Because the truth of the matter is that if you really become born again in these parts, and you have not yet been ostracized by your family, you have a, there's something about, your family has not yet put you in a category. Then you are not ready for anything. Pastor Victor can understand what I'm talking about. You understand what I'm talking about? Or you want to ask a question? Alright. Please give him a microphone. We can, just sit down. Don't worry. Enjoy your seat. Give him a microphone before I proceed. Give him, give him a mic. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You don't need to stand. Sit down. Just enjoy yourself. Sit. There was a time you were preaching here. You said you had a friend. And that friend is a Muslim. Is it right? Uh-huh. Okay, wait now. <laughs> Jesus was called a friend of the publicans in a form. 
But the issue we are talking about here is communion. Fellowship. Agreement. Part. That means concord. It's not as if I can't relate with an unbeliever. I have colleagues that are unbelievers. And we interface. On the level of colleagues. Are you following that? We go for courses together. They send us on courses. The fact that maybe he's not a Christian won't say make you not to go for the course. We'll go for the course. But even them themselves have acknowledged that this man is different. And they tell me. Now, that's a good round. The other time we went for a course in Calabar, we're still in lectures. So the lecturer delayed. And they were saying, ah, Pastor, we want to hear one of your sermons. So I now took them to YouTube. <laughs> we now downloaded one sermon there. And one of the guys that was a Muslim now said he had something to tell me. When we got back to Lagos, he now said he is changing to a Christian. Now, if I didn't have a relationship with him on that level, if I discriminated against him on that level, that trust will not exist. Now, what we are talking about is that that person is playing a key role in your life. I can relate with them. We need to interface with them to get them out of that kingdom of darkness. But I don't have any deep thing with any unbeliever. Nothing deep. But I have, ah, hey, pastor. No, uh, no problem. And I will even make them feel uneasy. I'll relate well. Because at the end of the day, some of them, before they married, they came to me to go to the lady to check if he had devils. The lady is a Muslim. I said, check this one. So, we can, we can still play those. <laughs> we can still <laughs> see interface on that level. Hallelujah. It was when the okay, you understand what I'm talking about? There's nothing deep I have with any unbeliever anywhere in the world, for that matter. The people in my life are the people you are seeing here. These ones know me more than my biological brethren. Because when a man is born again, he's born into a spiritual family. It's only that family that can understand him. Church is supposed to be family. So people that have an individual spirit are not yet practicing members of church. He comes to church, but he doesn't fuse with the community. He keeps himself. Me. Oh, it's just like you see. There's a difference between a pile of blocks and a wall and a house. It is still those pile of blocks that has made what the house. But the difference between the house and a pile of blocks is that you can't stay inside the pile of blocks. So as long as we remain individual, nothing is built. But if we are going to build something, there are some blocks that we have to cut. Your anger might be an excessive luggage. We have to cut it. In order to establish order, there are some things about your own personal life that is bogus that we need to judge. So that we can establish order, a pattern that some people can dwell under. They can come with their troubles and find liberty. Are you still with me? Now, so some people prefer not to be caught 
So they want themselves to be individual blocks. So they are not built into something that God is building. Indeed, if you are part of the family, the system will affect your structure. To affect your finances. Because they, those among us that are stronger financially, obviously we have the responsibility to help the ones that are not as strong. It will affect you. You will be caught. But when you see people that are part of in body, but they are not fused, it's just isolated, it's just there. That one is not part of the family. That's what church is. I don't want to press deep this morning. But you understand it to that point. Because people prefer to retain their shape and be isolated and having an individual spirit rather than losing their original shape so that we can have a corporate shape. Just like a preacher among us. Because for us to be together like this, you will lose a lot of things. So when you find a preacher among us that doesn't want to lose those things, to fuse into the colony of the presbytery, you isolate that one. It's not family. When the devil wants to attack us, it's through that kind of life the, best, the devil will use. Do you understand? Because the idea is what? Family. The Lord give you understanding. I don't want to press deeper. There are five things that the church is. And one of them is family. And that is why we call God Father. Is it not in the family that we have Father? Our what? Father. That means there's a family. The Lord give you understanding. Now, for instance, Pastor Victor now was being trained to become an Oya. Oya. And he was being taken through the process to become, to hold the scepter and to wield the powers of witchcraft that are associated with being an Oya. And then suddenly he gives his life to Christ. He no longer has an accord. He no longer has what? A stake. He no longer has what? A part. He is no longer part of the communion. He doesn't have an inheritance there. So he needs to find his own people. You know, physically, he still bears the name and he knows the compound. But he cannot partake of what is going on there. And just in case he's partaking, he should not be trusted. Do you understand what I'm talking about? That is how it is. That is it. Because in keeping with this consecration where we release ourselves to be projected and to become a theater through which the Holy Ghost manifests fruits of holiness. In this our calling, on this ground, there is a demand that you dissociate from every other spirit that wants to use you as his theater. So on the strength of this, you cannot have fellowship between Baal and what? And Christ. You cannot have what? Communion between what? Light and darkness. You cannot have any agreement between what? Believer and what? You cannot have any part between what? The Lord give you understanding in the name of Jesus Christ. So they had to leave every form of communion that existed before 
to find their own clan. Communion is a deep thing. When we share together, hmm? it's a deep thing. It's actually a proof that we are part of a covenant. Covenants are not enacted in those days until there is eating. Now when Jesus Christ called his disciples for communion, it was a deep thing that was happening. A new platform is forged. It's on the strength of this platform that communion will be defined from hence. And that's why in the book of John, John had to say that which we have seen from the beginning. We have heard about it with our ears. We have looked upon it. We have handled it. Even of the word of life. That the eternal life that dwelt with the Father in the beginning was manifest to us. It's because of this that we have encountered, that we call you to fellowship. All them that have encountered the Father through His Son are now hereby summoned to come for fellowship. We have something in common that has bound our destinies together. Come! It was on the strength of that that John was calling people for what? For fellowship. Then he said that our fellowship is with the Father and what? And with his son, Jesus Christ. I don't want to explain that. It's very deep. Can you see it now? Alright. Uh, wh- where are we? Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate. This is the call. Say the Lord, touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, said the Almighty. This is the promise he's, he's talking about. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters. This is the heavy promise that he gave us. Now, meanwhile, before this promise, there's a requirement. This is a conditional promise. He said, wherefore, because of this promise, come out from among them, be ye separate, touch not what? Now the emph- <coughs> please let us read together. He said, therefore come out from among them and be ye. Now that separation is not segregation. Because holiness is separation. As the nature of God called holiness begins to manifest in your life, it will it will separate you from common things, from ordinary things, from worldly things, and then put you in your own category and in your own class. Just in case you are involved in a common thing, Paul is calling you now. Come out. Maybe you have not ordered your steps very well. And there's deep communion between you and an unbeliever. Now, if you are in communion with an unbeliever, you are going to be colonized by the unbeliever. That's not how the power of light is amassed. The power of light is amassed when it, it is shining from an isolated source, a different source from darkness. And he beeps into darkness. He displaces it. But by the time you take darkness and light and put and marry them together by force, it will lose its brilliance. Light will lose its brilliance. So there's a call to separation. There's a call not to touch the unclean thing. Is that all? What's the third one? No, come out from among them, that's number one. Be separate, that's number two, and touch not the 
unclean thing. Now we are Bible scholars. Who can help us? Who can tell us what the unclean thing is? The unclean thing. If, if you have a, an ancient Bible, unclean is in, is in italics. Huh? Who can help us now? Touch not the unclean thing. This is the reason why a prayer man will not grow. He is touching the unclean thing. That's why he will not grow. Uh, you, okay. Uh, are you with me? Just in case you don't know, it is that unclean thing that chapter 7 starts with. There are two dimensions of the unclean thing. Having therefore these promises, my dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of what? The flesh and the spirit. It means there are two types of filthiness. My concern, I know you know the filthiness of the flesh. I know you know that one. Or do we need to still look upon the filthiness of the flesh? My concern this morning is actually the filthiness of the spirit. What are the things that contaminate your spirit? So a prayer man can be praying for 100 days, night vigil, but he is still making contact with that which contaminates his spirit. But he doesn't know. He is still violating spiritual laws. Have you ever read in your Bible, quench not the spirit? How do you quench the spirit? Huh? How? It's by anger. Nothing quite. You go and pray for 30 days on the mountain when you come back glowing with the flame of God. And then you see someone and say, Oh! <laughs> when you say that, the measure of God you came down with has depleted on a very serious note. Well, let me chip in something quickly. A man that still has anger in his bosom doesn't have a plan to go far with God. Let me just... If you are still pampering anger and you have not gone to deal with anger, you don't have a plan to go far. Let me just leave that one. I, I will not explain. Leave it. 